Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. So if you've never listened to this show before, I started this four years ago, just about, so that I could interview really interesting entrepreneurs who were doing really cool things. Because someone told me one time that if you ever feel like you're stuck in a rut, just go interview 50 successful people. There's no way you can't come out the other side better and more inspired. Well, after 50 episodes, I didn't stop there. We're almost up to number 400, and uh, we're not stopping anytime soon. Uh, I have learned so much from interviewing all of these cool people, and I know that many of you who've listened to several episodes have too, because I hear from you. So if this is your first episode or your 370-something episode, go ahead and let me know. Tell me what you like about the show. Leave a review on iTunes. In fact, not enough people jump over to iTunes and leave a review. And I'll tell you what, it just makes my day so much happier when people do that. Anyway, today I think we're going to have a really interesting talk. Today I have with us here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, Virginia Muskies. Now, I will tell you something very interesting. I met her hmm, almost a year ago, and when I met her, she was sort of retooling and thinking about doing some different things, and she told me she wanted to be on my podcast. And maybe it had been a long day, maybe I'd had a glass of wine, but I looked at her and said, the show's called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, not cool things entrepreneurs want to do. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I thought, what a jerk. But then I ran into her again six months later, and she said that that was motivation, that she got her business retooled and she was doing some great things and that now she was ready to come on the show. And so I am so excited to bring to you Virginia Muskies. What she does is helps entrepreneurs build kick-ass businesses, and she's going to tell us how she does that. Hey, Virginia, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom, thank you so much. And thanks for the motivation. I honestly didn't think you were a jerk. I was like, he's right. I'm not doing anything cool right now. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, but I definitely uh, have come back out the gate and it's been a lot of fun. So Excellent. Thanks for having well, me on. Well, why don't you tell everybody who is Virginia and, and what do you do? What is your business? My business is called Master Connectors, and I help people build their business by referral. So I'm, I work with people on building strategic referral relationships. I find that, um, you know, many, many entrepreneurs go out and they do um, the business card roulette thing where they're just sort of business card poker, you're just handing out the business cards and hoping, right? They're using the hope and pray method that, oh, God, God, I hope I get a client at this networking event. And so I, I really discovered that there's a, there's a process and a strategy. And once you know how to move all of the working pieces, you can really align yourself in ways with people that, that help you do cool things, right? Like create an amazing business. But I really believe that um, businesses aren't just about selling stuff. They really are about transforming your little neck of the woods. And that's what I think is really, that's the cool thing I think entrepreneurs do is we, we transform our little neck of the woods. Right. And the reality is, is so much of it is about people. I've spent the last year plus doing a whole study on how people feel about their own potential and, and how they're achieving it. And everything falls into three buckets. It falls into their plan, which is their goals and knowing clearly what they're trying to accomplish. Their purpose, which is sort of Simon Sinek's whole theory of knowing your why. Why, why do you get out of bed? Why do you go to work? And then yep. the, the last bucket is people. And you would think in a world where we've become so easy to connect with all these electronic tools that that would have become easier the last 10 years. 
but it's actually, I believe, become much harder to make the type of connections that lead to referrals. And uh, so that's, I spend a lot of my time in my work talking about that same thing is why do people matter and how do you transform a like, a link, a share, or a follow into a real human-to-human engagement that leads you to, to opportunity? Absolutely. You know, and, and it's really interesting because having met at the New Media Summit, I went to that because I like Steve Olsher. That's the reason I went. I had no idea what a podcast was. I'd never listened to one. Um, gosh, I'm a BNI executive director. Ivan Meisner does podcasts every single week, and I had never even listened to one of his podcasts. Oh, my gosh. I admitted that on, on a podcast. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I didn't even know what one was, but I liked Steve. I had a personal connection to Steve. So, I went and then I was like, these people are really cool. And they are making connections and this podcast thing, there's something to be said because it is a way to get somebody offline and in your space and really get to know them. And so that was just a, it, it just fell right in line with the plan. Well, and it's interesting because I started my career teaching people how to network better. And same thing you talk about is it's not just mm-hmm. meeting somebody. It's how do you build it into a, a mutually beneficial and long-term relationship where yeah. everybody's boat rises. But the interesting thing about that was is four years ago when I started the podcast, what I discovered is my podcast has been the number one best networking tool I've ever had. I have met more people in the last four years and built ongoing connections because of the podcast, whether they're people who listen to the show, they're people who uh, uh, are guests on the show, yep. or or I'm guests on their show. But the connection right. or, or I listen to their show or they just listen to my show a lot, you're able to build it because we're, we're taking more than, than just the typed word. We're actually taking the spoken word and, and that helps us bond even more. So people who listen to the show tell me all the time. They, they feel they know me. I run into people. I ran into someone in an airport and she goes, oh my gosh, I know who you are. I listen to your, to your show. And she said, you know, start asking me about my kids and my wife. And, you know, I mean, she knows what I do because I talk about it on the show. And now we're in touch often as if, you know, we've become real friends. So it's it's I think the the podcast is the best tool out there if you want to connect with people either either be guests on shows or be a host of a show or even hop into a community of a of a host right like a, the the gated sort of Facebook communities I'll tell you why I think that is Tom which um, I heard Justin Livingston one time say that people post on social media who they aspire to be they're not really posting who they are they're not really po- we don't really put our our stuff out there and we don't put on our vulnerability and show up the way we are. Right. And then the other day I'm on a podcast and the stuff that, that we started talking about, like that is not stuff I would post on LinkedIn. It just wasn't right. It was deep. It was really intimate. It was stuff about my personal philosophies, struggles, pain, good stuff that has a lot to do with entrepreneurship. But I'm not putting that stuff on Facebook and I'm certainly not tweeting about it. And I'm not taking pictures of my cry snotty face like, oh, I'm having such a rough day. Tweet. I'm not tweeting that stuff and Instagramming my life like that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm pretty honest on this show. I always talk about how when I started my business, I hemorrhaged cash for three years and I get people who reach out to me and say, thank you for saying that because so few entrepreneurs talk about that. They just talk about the good times. And so I've always tried to be really transparent about the the ups and downs of my my own journey. But I was on uh, Justin Shank's Growth Now movement and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, both of us were almost in tears over a story that was being told. In fact, he cried. I didn't. I always tease him. He prides himself on making guests cry. And I said, I made the host cry. Yahoo! But, uh, but you go, Tom. But it's because you, you made can, me cry. You made Justin right. cry. It's just like you're good at that. <laughs> but it's it's it, the truth is is that we're getting you know you can get real when you're having a voice conversation where you can't mm-hmm. always do that on, on other social media. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. 
So what led you to be an entrepreneur? What was your background? Were you always entrepreneurial? Have you always worked for yourself or, or what did you do in the early days? You know, I, I grew up the daughter of an entrepreneur. My dad was in the information technology industry in the 60s because, yes, there actually was that. It was that the big large computers when debugging meant sending somebody in with a vacuum to suck the moths out of the out of the insides of the computers. <laughs> Debugs mean you had cockroaches in the actual. Literally, appliance. like literally when I was six, I would go in with a vacuum and like sweep and like suck up moths and stuff out of the computers because I was small. So um, he worked for a large corporation. They did a merger. Um they were going to, they told him to go fire all his people. And he was, was a, I was a Navy man and Navy captains always go down with their ship. And so guess what? Um, they, they fired him. They fired him. <laughs> they handed him a box and said, well, good to know you, John. And then he was kind of pursued as the story goes by some sort of a, some sort of a, another company that wanted him to move to Texas and put us up in a gated community and make him like, make him send us to like private school. And that was like way too Stepford wives for him. So he was like, well, if they think I can do it, I'm just going to go do it for myself. And he friggin' bootstrapped a business, um, worked 20, 22 hours a day, rented computer time from two in the morning till eight in the morning. My, we, I remember my mom like putting us in a, in our station wagon, our Ford mustard colored station wagon with the paneling on the wood paneling on the side and driving us to the train station to pick up daddy. And, um, and so it was really, it was really tough, but you know, my dad was a good businessman and he was a decent businessman and he supported local politics and he supported the local schools and he was a community activist and he put his money where his mouth was and he made a difference in the employees lives that he had. He made a difference in the community that we lived. And I just grew up knowing what it looked like to be a really good business citizen now, the personal side of that was kind of is kind of ucky. Uh, you know, uh, he was never around and, you know, we all grew up kind of fragmented as a family and it was crazy. But as an entrepreneur, my dad had it going on. And I, I remember I was like, God, I loved selling. I was a great at selling Girl Scout cookies. I was great at selling beach towels. So I've always been I've always been selling. Um, but I, my career started out, uh, I went to Dartmouth College to do I don't know what, like, just I went to college because that's what you did back then. And I ended up majoring in Spanish, was a Spanish teacher for five years at an all boys boarding academy. That was interesting. And that is the subject for a whole other podcast. Um, left that, came to St. Louis, did my PhD work in Spanish literature, and then discovered after hearing Jim Rohn say that you become the compositor of the five people you hang out with. Yeah, I didn't want to be like those people. <laughs> that, that's right. Sometimes that sometimes that is an inspirational quote, and sometimes people look around and go, "Ah!" I was I was speaking to an audience one time, and I, I said that that you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And a lady in the audience went, "Oh shit!" Really shit. laughed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, listen, I had a I had a baby. She was not not three or four months old when I heard that that quote. And I started not only looking at the people I was hanging out with, but I was looking at their kids. And I was like, I don't even want my kids to turn out like that. Like there was nothing that I loved about my future. I walked up one set of stairs, across the hall, walked down a set of stairs, went home, threw myself on the bed, cried hysterically. My husband comes in. He's like, who died? And I'm like, oh, I saw my future. It's so not pretty. And then I became a Mary Kay beauty consultant because they were pretty. <laughs> well, but that's entrepreneurial. I mean, if you're able it's to do that. It, it was, you know, uh, Linda showed up and said, if you sign up and I sign up, Julie will win a car. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, I went to my very first Monday night meeting and I said, I'm not selling any of this shit to anybody. And the director, the, the 
Mary Kay sales director goes, I believe that you can do that. And I said, and she turned out to be wrong because like three months later, I was the number one salesperson (laughs) in the Mary Kay like area. Um, So I loved selling, thought it was really cool, sucked at team building, racked up, maxed out like four credit cards to the tune of 20 grand and didn't tell my husband about it. Um, Anyone who's listening, if you're an entrepreneur, it's really a good idea not to max out credit cards and not tell your spouse. That is a, that is a hard limit. Don't do that. Um, That was right around my 40th birthday and it was really ugly. We got through that. My dad helped me pay off the, pay off the debt and I got a job and I started working for a Sylvan learning center. And I thought that was going to be just a gem because the owner said, look, I make the phone ring. You just answer the phone and convert. I had the highest conversion ratios, the highest contract values of anybody in the whole system, in the whole national system. And still, I couldn't hit the budget goals because the phone wasn't ringing. So um, long story short, we looked for another opportunity and No Child Left Behind had just been authorized the year prior. So he made me his vice president of contract sales. And uh, I went from not knowing crap anything about any of that like oh my god writing rfps do i look like a girl who writes rfps well i learned how to do that and i learned how to do play all the games and um and the most important thing that i learned when i did that was how to borrow influence Hmm. because uh, your listeners can't see me um except for maybe my picture but i do not i did not grow up in the urban environment i do not look like i'm part of an urban environment. So there was, there was really low trust and it was very, very difficult. My first year we did about $170,000 and I, it, it was killer. And I realized I'm not going to be able to do this knocking on doors. I'm not going to be able to do this networking. Advertising isn't going to work. The only thing that's going to work is to get some people who will say, she's cool. She's all right. So I took the entire marketing budget and I used it for philanthropy. And I bought backpacks and I bought games and I bought libraries and I whatever food filled food pantries when they were like, oh, we need tuna. I was like, buy tuna, you know, whatever people needed. That's what we did. My girls and I went. um, I took their friends. We volunteered and we spent a lot of time in the city and we were able after five years to borrow enough influence to help over 2,500 kids and do two and a half million dollars worth of revenue. So we did zero to 2.5 in just, just over five years. And we did it all by word of mouth because that was the only opportunity there was. There was no other way to do it. So let's talk a little bit about this borrowing influence from people. I mean, you know, I, I've heard a lot of this. I read a lot about it. I, you know, I understand it. But a lot of people who are listening are like, well, how do you do that? What's the basics of getting in there, meeting people, and then and then borrowing influence. So, you know, do, do you want kind of the specifics of how I did it in that, in that environment, or do you want me to be more general? Either one, whatever's best for the people listening. Okay, so I think I can do the whole thing in a concrete way that'll turn hypothetical. So the first thing I realized is that there are a lot of needs going on. Right. And, and that goes for any life. You have needs. I have needs. Everybody has stuff going on and we have all kinds of stuff going on. And there are lots of opportunities um, for people to provide for different needs. So what I knew was there were already people providing for these kids. There were people feeding these kids. There were people 
uh, providing after school care for these kids. There were people providing uniforms for these kids. There, there were people that were providing things. There were churches, there were community organizations, there were hospitals. Um, there were all food pantries. Again, there were all kinds of um, missions um, and, and opportunities. So what I did was I simply went to all of those influencers that I could find and one of them happened to have had their child at my learning center. And that was where I started. So it was somebody that I already knew who already liked me and knew me. And I went and I said, how do I do this? And so he helped me create a council of all these people that were serving the underprivileged kids. And we formed a coalition. And then all I did was say, look, I have this pool of money that I'm supposed to use for advertising. Guess what? I have flushed it down the toilet two years in a row. This is stupid. What can I do with this money that will help you complete your mission, like accomplish what you want to accomplish? And so they all made wish lists for me. And then I started looking strategically, who does business in the schools and in the places where I most want to do business because the contract values varied. So I looked for a couple of things. One, I looked for where's the highest contract value because that was going to be the most lucrative place to go. It's not that I didn't want to serve the other kids, but I knew that if I wanted to serve the lower contract value kids, that I had to have more of the higher value contract kids to be able to rob Peter to pay Paul in the other areas. So I focused in the, in the high contract value areas. And then I focused on the highest delivery areas, which were third through fifth graders. So I just looked at the people because we got paid if they showed up. Well, you know, high schoolers don't show up. They show up 40% of the time. Third graders show up all of the time because it's <laughs> after school care for them. Right. So all I asked for was this little sliver of what they had that I could leverage. And that's how I built the whole thing. But it was really about not wanting the moon, the stars and the sun right? I wanted a little thing, just the third through fifth graders, the little ones. That's all I want. You can give everybody else to all your other people that are giving you things that you need. And then the other thing was just making sure that I understood them. If they needed manpower, I provided manpower. If they needed money, it was money. If they needed crayons, it was crayons. I mean, heck, there was a group of kids that kept fighting. They were like pretending to be in this little gang war. And I, I got like, it was such a problem. And one day I like find myself in the middle of East St. Louis. And one of the kids that's in the program is like, oh, Ms. V, you can't be here. It's going down. I go, what do you mean it's going down? Oh, it's going down. You can't be here. And I said, well, I think what's going down is I'm going to 25th Street and getting a donut. And they're like, you buying donuts? I said, I'm buying donuts. And they're like, hey, guys, it ain't going down today. We go and get donuts with Miss V. And the next thing you know, I'm stopping gang wars, having donuts and grape soda at the, the <laughs> local donut shop. Whatever it took to get influence. So I had influence with grownups. I had influence with the kids. I tried to get influence with the parents. It was just about trying to understand what people needed and provide them with what they needed in a real genuine way and being totally okay if I got nothing in return. I think that's all. I think that's a big thing is a lot of people think that this whole concept of, of networking and connecting is all about give and take. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is sometimes it's give, 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 give. Then you get, and if you try to keep score, you're always going to be screwed. Well, the biggest issue with the get with the gaining, and I, I actually asked Ivan Meisner this one time. I said, man, I'm doing all the giving. When does the gaining start? Right? And he said, well, what's your strategy for that? I said, what do you mean? I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. And he's like, right. And when someone says, well, gosh, you've helped me so much. What can I do for you? What do you say? And I said, uh, I usually say, I don't know. And he goes, that's why you're not getting anything. Because when you've tipped the scales in your favor, you're not prepared for the ask. 
You yeah. don't even know what you need. I've started telling people I want an introduction to a company that has a team meeting. And it's amazing how many more introductions I get to companies who are having either a sales kickoff or an all hands uh, meeting or that do a user's conference or a customer conference because mm-hmm. I specifically ask rather than just being like, oh, just be nice to me. Yeah, like, that, I mean, it's probably the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make around networking is we're all really happy. We've heard givers gain. We've heard if I just give enough people what they need, I'll have everything I need. They'll Zig Ziglar. That was me paraphrasing. It's not the exact quote. But the reality is, is we also don't know how to ask for what we want because there are starving children in Africa. And you know what? All the paradigms that we've been told, we're not worthy to ask uh, for what we need. So we give, 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 give. But when someone says, please, how can I help you? We have no idea. And I'll tell you, if it's better to give than receive, where does all the giving go? <laughs> like the giving has to go somewhere. And you can't leave somebody in um, what I call it referral tension. You can't leave them in that tension forever because they will go away out of guilt. Mm. They'll just they'll leave because they can't get they can't unburden the the gift. Mm, They have too much. That's such an interesting thing. That's right. They want to give back. And if you don't give them a chance, they're just going to run to save themselves. Yeah. You you won't be able to create relationship because you're denying them the opportunity to do exactly what you're doing, which is to give. So if you're going to do this networking thing and you're going to borrow influence, yes, you have to wait until someone says, what can I do for you? But gosh darn it, you better be ready to make that ask. And it better, like right on the tip of your tongue, you say, actually, I'm so glad you asked. I really appreciate that. What I really need is an introduction to... Right. Whoever. So, so then take take it to the next step then. So how did you go from doing that to your own your own thing? Um, well, after I did that two and a half million, I was getting real burnt out. Um, I was doing the one thing I said I would never do, Tom. And back when my dad was working 20 hours a week or 20, yeah, 20 hours a day and he wasn't there, um, we felt really abandoned. And I ended up really hating my dad for a very long time. And it wasn't really until I became a mother and they put that baby in my arms that I was like, oh my God, my dad cannot possibly hate me. Like, look at this. This is this thing that I feel for my daughter. My dad feels for me. And when I called him on the phone and I said, why did you, why did you love your job so much more than you loved us? My dad shed a tear and he said, oh my God, everything I did, I did to provide for you. I did it because I love you. And I, I missed, and he started to all the things that I held against him, like you missed this and you missed that. And you weren't there for this play and you weren't there for the recital. He rattled off every last one of them and said, I shed a tear over missing every one of them. But because I did what I did, you had a violin and you had ballet shoes and you had those things. And I was so proud to give them to you. So we really reconciled and I thought I'm never going to do that. And, and I got to tell you, I started working that, that job and started doing that no child left behind thing. And my beautiful young daughter who was a trumpet prodigy quit playing trumpet and got mixed up with a bunch of wrong people because what did I care? I wasn't, it wasn't like I was at the concerts. Right. Right. And that made me know that I had to change my life. I went to a mentor and she said, well, let's open a business. We bought a coaching franchise. I won't throw it under the bus. It didn't work out for me very well. I sat out on a two-year non-compete and, um, and then came back out. And that's when you met me when I was just coming off that non-compete. I had um, 
the the material, the concepts that that franchise provided were really good, but the curriculum and the marketing were very weak. And so I had gone and studied with people like, you know, Callan Rush and Justin Livingston and Bill Barron and Steve Olsher and Alex Mundosi. And I went and studied to try to make myself a good coach and a good presenter and a good teacher in this space. And, um, and I just sort of outgrew the franchise organization. And so I've created this program called referrals on demand. And I have a, um, I, we own some BNI franchises and I have a mastermind group called the referral Alliance. So out of all of that, I just have come to deeply understand the process of human connection and how to make the give and how to make the ask in a strategic way that leaves everybody very balanced. And as you said, right, raises everybody's boat. Right, right. No, that that that's fantastic. And the one thing I know about you is, you know, you waited out that non-compete, but boy, when you hit the ground running, you know, you you went from zero to fast. You bet. So do you, you think do you think your sales background, you know, I not everyone I interview who's, you know, had success and is doing cool things had a sales background, but so many of the people when I ask them about their background talk about the fact that they loved sales, they were great at sales, they knew how to sell. Do you think it makes it easier to be an entrepreneur if you know how to sell? I'm not sure that you need to know how to sell. I think you have to be okay selling. So I think the mindset of, oh, I, you know, I don't, oh, here's the big one for me. I just, I don't want to ask, I mean, m- dirty money. Money's dirty. Money's not good, right? Money's awesome. <laughs> I love money. I really do. I think money's awesome. And you know what? As long as I give you some and you give someone to somebody else and then they give it to somebody else and then somebody else gives it and it comes back to me, it's the same hundred dollar bill. It just passed through 10 hands. It's got to move. So the movement of money, I think, is really fun. And the other thing that I believe is that we all have value and money is the lowest form of vibrational exchange. So you and I are having a we're exchanging a vibrational currency right now. It's called relationship. And I'll do favors for you and you'll do favors for me. And maybe money will change hands, but probably not because we're in a different space. But when when all I have that you want is money and all I have that you want is my product, then we have to exchange in some way in order to keep the balance, I don't know, the energetic balance of the universe in, mm. in play. And, and so I think that selling is a matter of listening and discovery. And and I'm going to say this one last thing because my sales process is probably the most interesting sales process that anybody ever does. Because what I do is I spend 50% of my time figuring out what you really are committed to creating in your life and what you really want and what is all this for in the first place. Like, why do you want this thing? Then I talk about obstacles. What do you think is in your way? Why do you, why is that a problem? And I listen intently. And if I can't get jazzed about what you're telling me and I can't like with total confidence be like, I will be your warrior goddess and I will slay all those dragons and you are going to get what you want. Then I refer them to somebody else. So I'm like, I'm not going to solve your problem. So what do you love now that you've been doing this and now that you're having success, what do you love about being an entrepreneur? Oh, I love people. I love meeting people. I love seeing people be successful. I love hearing people's stories. I curated a mastermind dinner on Wednesday night. Oh my gosh, the stories and the 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 things that people have done and God, one of the guys was like, you know, like Navy SEAL intelligence, like the stuff. It's just so amazing, the richness and the vividness that there is in life. And being an entrepreneur, you get to meet those people and you get to care. It's just, it's a lifestyle thing. Yeah. It's just, a, it's an amazing lifestyle thing. 
So, I mean, your energy is really high. And I know that people are listening are like, yes, yes. Oh, my God, Virginia. So what advice do you have for somebody who wants to go out and slay their own dragons? They want to leave behind that company. They want that freedom and that flexibility so they can be with their family or whatever their purpose is. What uh, what advice do you have for them? First, read the e-myth. And then read... Uh, before you quit your job, right? It's like, it's, um, who wrote it? The guy who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. Kaisaki, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's called before you, before you quit your job or something. Really understand what you're getting yourself into before you quit your job, because entrepreneurship is not for the weak of heart, the faint of heart, right? So, um, I, the other day somebody asked me and I, I was frustrated and I, I, I said, listen, I get that you think you want to be an entrepreneur, but I think you should get a nine to five. And they were like, oh, I'm so offended. And I said, look, if entrepreneurship is fed by a steady diet of fear, frustration and fucking up. And if you can't put your head on the pillow every single night and be like, this day sucked, but I love my shit show. Entrepreneurship just isn't for you because it is. It's just failure and messing up and messes and you know bleeding cash and fighting and it's all that stuff. And you still have to love it. So I talked to the guest on the previous episode to this one. If you go back just one episode, I interviewed a guy named John Garrett, and he is like one of the most successful entrepreneurs in Austin, Texas. 13 years ago, he walked away from a job uh, with a traditional newspaper and started his own newspaper. I mean, 13 years ago, people were like, are you crazy? And now it's like a multi-million dollar. He's in four cities. He's moving to Arizona with his first out-of-state play, and it's hyper-local. You don't subscribe. It's all advertiser-driven, and and it's full. The paper's always full of advertising, and, and people go, oh, print advertising is dead, not to community impact. And I asked mm-hmm. him, I asked him, what's the delta? And he said, well, we made a lot of it, because I said, aren't people copying this? And he said, some people, but most who copy it, they don't stick around. They fail because they don't know what mistakes I made. I know where I failed, so I don't make yep. those mistakes again. Yep. And I'll tell you what the other thing is. If, if you really, truly want to make it, if you really want to truly make it, then you need to know what's your vision and you need to know what your obstacles are. And then you need to rank those obstacles. If I could only solve this one or that one, which would I solve? And Janet Atwood does a thing called the passion test. And it's kind of the process where you're sort of, Figuring out what is this number one thing. Um, Gary Keller wrote a book called The One Thing. What's the one thing you can solve that will make everything else obsolete or easier? Gary Keller, another Austinite, but go on. Oh, there you go. There you go. So uh, uh, you'll you notice that one of the things I do is I've dropped like seven different book titles, right? So read, educate yourself and get a flipping coach. Get a coach and spend spend really good money. I, I say this when I say to brides, I'm like, look, serve hot dogs and weenies, get a good photographer, right? If you're, <laughs> really, nobody's going to remember your damn food. The only thing you're going to have left in 30 years is the photos. You know how I know this? I had good food and no photos. So, gah, like the so same I, thing. I used to be a wedding photographer early in my life, and I wasn't the most artistic photographer, but my skill is I used to take pictures in college. I worked for the party pick company that did all the fraternity and sorority and dorm parties. So yeah. I knew how to cover a party better than anybody else. And I used to sell myself to brides saying people will take more artistic pictures of like your family on the altar and of your rings blurred together over the bouquet. But there is nobody who will get a picture as good as every single guest who's there because you're spending $50 a head or more to feed them 
I'm going to get great pictures of your guests because I know how to photograph a party. And most wedding photographers take no pictures of the guests. They they don't like to talk to guests. They don't want to right. be at the party. They just get the wedding party and the immediate family. And I'm like, so what? You want pictures of all those people. And to this day, I run into brides. I don't even do that as a business anymore. And I run into brides whose weddings I photographed 25 years ago. And they go, we love our album more than any of our friends because you're right. We go straight over the pictures of the ceremony and we go to the ones at the reception and we just look at it over and over of how young everybody was and how much fun everybody had. So I think you have great advice. That's right. On the bride side, right? Well, on the entrepreneur side, same dig. The biggest waste of money, uh, oh, somebody's going to kill me on this, websites and logos and business cards. Before you do any of that shit, hire a coach and pay good money to invest in yourself to get the problem solved. If you're a great tech, you went to school to be a great technician of what you do. You paid money to be a great attorney. You paid money to be a great uh, coder. You paid money, right, to learn that skill. Well, you got two more skill sets that you got to learn. You got to learn to market your business and you got to learn to manage your business. And you can go get a friggin' MBA or you can turn to the likes of Steve Olsher, Russell Brunson, you know, um, Gail Zalitsky, like the, 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 me, the, 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 the list of fabulous people who can help you build your a game in the marketing and the business management mastery thing, spend money and get somebody to help you. So that's what I got. That's good. I spend a lot of time talking about this whole concept of potential because we get so excited. Oh my gosh, I I'm starting this business. It has so much potential, but I see so many people who never reach any results. And so we get excited about potential, but you know, so what? I mean, you know, I always ask audiences, knowledge is what? And they always scream, power. And I go, no, it's not. Knowledge, knowledge is simply opportunity or potential. You got to take action to get to results. So what do you think the difference is between people who start businesses who succeed, get farther across that gap, and people who don't? Um, I think, number one, we're strategic. So when I came out the gate, Um, I knew, I knew Steve and I was like, all right, I know this guy. I know what his history is. I know he's failed. I know he's built seven figure businesses. I know his mom rocks. Um, his VA lives around the corner from me. Like I know this organization. I know these people. I'm going to go to Steve because, um, I just, I, I know him. He's the first guy that I know. Right. So I go and then he tells this whole story and I was like, yeah, and I'm facing a whole big shit show. So he's got all, he has overcome all the obstacles that I'm facing or might face. So I threw in with him and I spent five figures without asking my husband, even after the 13 year ago (laughs) shit show, but your husband's still there. So (laughs) he's still there. He was not happy, but I told him he has a motorcycle and now I have a coach. So there you go. So, I threw in with that and Steve has this thing called the seven by seven profit path. And I have worked my ass for now since whatever it is, October. So however many months it is, seven months, eight months. And I'm like, chip away, chip away, whatever. And when I get stuck, I say, do you do this or do I need a coach? So one of the things, one of the first things was visibility and it was awareness. And I was like, I want to do a podcast. I don't know anything about a podcast. So I said, what does it involve? And Kelly told me everything it involved. And I go, but I just want to talk into a mic. And she's like, we don't do that. So I called Doug and Strick at Turnkey and I was like, do you do this? And they were like, yes, ma'am. And I dropped cash with them. And then I got through, um, I got through the profit path and I got to number six and it was like high end offering. And I was like, I don't know what to do. So I called Jay Fissette, who was at the thing in, in September. He dropped a free tool 
And I took the tool. I was like, look at that, a free tool. I wonder if I can monetize this. I did exactly what he said. I said, what do I do with this tool, Jay? He's like, call 20 people and do the thing. And I was like, okay. So I called 20 people, did the thing and made like 20 grand. I was like, all right, I'm in. So the minute I needed him, I hired him. I was like, here's that money that I, <laughs> that I earned using your free tool. You just have to do things and be willing to fail miserably and then hire people to shorten the learning curve. Most people just grind thinking they're going to figure it out themselves. And I assure you, you are not getting to Oz without the Tin Man, the Lion, and whatever the other one is. Scarecrow. Scarecrow. You're not yeah. getting, yeah, you're not getting there. The Scarecrow, that, she loved him most of all. I know. <laughs> and I'm just like him, right? Because I can't remember the Scarecrow. <laughs> but, but I think it's, you know, I, I swear, Tom, I really think it's because we don't want to invest in ourselves, but we think we can do it ourselves. So we spend more time, the first three to five years, we spend just making mistakes that we don't have to make. You can pay to not make those mistakes. So, you know, I, I've got more questions for you. I can't le let you leave yet, but I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So Go this episode it. is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Virginia Muskies. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and look at the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. Because as she said, she just wanted to talk into a microphone. She found someone to do the technical work. That's what I did. And I did it with podfly.net. And I will tell you, in all of my career and everything I've ever done, I've never had a vendor who I've liked better. For four years, they have been there. They've helped me. They've been awesome. So they're my sponsor, but I love them. So Virginia, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. As you're well aware, it's not called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Want to Do. Mm -hmm. so, or think about doing. Or think or about doing or hope to do. Yeah. So what is the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Oh my God. So I was uh, at a um, mastermind three-day intensive thing. Um, do you know who Jason Gaynard is? Uh, no. He's got, oh my gosh, you got to get him on the show. He's amazing. So he does these curated dinners and he gets cool people together and he pays for them to have dinner. And um, so I did it. Like he, he just kind of presented, you know me, I go, I'm like, look, that's a great, that's the thing I'm going to take home with me. And so I curated my very first dinner last Wednesday, two days ago. And uh, oh my stars, it was so great. I'm sitting there at the table People are talking. Basically, we asked them a few questions. Who are you? Tell us about your background. Um, what what what's the cool thing that you're doing right now? What um, what skill sets are? Hey, that's, what's hey, that's my you? question. What are they asking? What are you asking my question for? I know because I'm trying to find you good <laughs> podcast guests, Tom. Um, right. So, and then the last thing was, how can we support you? Like, what obstacles are you facing, and how can we support you? And so we kind of went around the table, and I'm telling you. I have a, I generally have a pretty good opinion of myself, got some good esteem, self-esteem, got some confidence. I felt like the 12 year old, right? The sixth grader at the senior table. 
I was like, oh my God, that person's so cool. That person's so neat. That person's amazing. And at the end, you go around the table and you say, so, hey, what was the value of this to you? And they were like, man, you curated one hell of a crowd. This was great. This is the best networking event I've ever been to. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And it really, really was. And a number of them now have called me and said, how do we do this again? And I said, oh, well, to do that, you have to work with me, right? So you have to be part of my, you have to be part of my mastermind community. But, uh, but just even if nobody wanted to work with me, those three and a half hours were probably the coolest three and a half hours I've spent with amazing people in a really long time. Oh, that's awesome. So Virginia, I love to ask the people who come on the show who they admire, because I think it's more than just talking about Virginia and all the cool things you're doing and, and, and your path to get here. I, I think great entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask them who out there in the world of the entrepreneurosphere, if you will, who do you uh -huh. think, oh, yeah, he or she, they're doing cool things. There's so many, right? Like the, there are so, so many um, folks in the space doing cool things. Um, I I really dig Russell Brunson, the ClickFunnels dude. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I saw him, I guess, two, three years ago at Internet Profits. And, you know, he just like strolls out there in his bare feet. And he's like, yeah, I did whatever self-respecting person does. I just like hacked the heck out of it. And I just kind of really thought that that was super disruptive and that um, that he was just really neat. And what was really cool about what he did was he wouldn't sell anything to me. He's like, nope, I told Steve I wasn't going to sell, right? And we're like, no, we want to buy it. Like the buying tension in the room was outrageous, right? And I think every person in the room ended up like, please put a link up. Please put a buyer thing. Sell me I've something. Sell me something. Yeah. Sell me something. And I've, I've never seen anything like that ever. And I really, I, I really, and it was just, it wasn't flashy and it wasn't insincere and it wasn't NLP and no one was hypnotizing anybody. He was just being Russell on the stage with this cool, innovative thing. And we were impressed. So I would say I, I do. I admire him. That's I admire him for his disruption. That's awesome. I like disruptors. That's why I go back and listen to the episode with, with John Garrett, the, the newspaper guy. And yeah. you think, how is somebody growing a multi-million dollar newspaper that's only 13 years old and it just keeps getting bigger? Because he's a disruptor. He didn't start a newspaper like everybody else's. His whole model is upside down and sideways. And that's why in a, in a world where we're hungry for hyper-local, He's, he's solving that, that thing because he's disruptive. So anyone who says they like a disruptor, I get excited about. Yeah. Hey, uh, the last question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because here's the thing. I think as entrepreneurs, we have to do more than just make money. It's not just about ourselves. We're, we're fortunate people that we get to do these things that we get to do. So I love to find out how people serve. What do you do? Um, <clears throat> so about 14 years ago, I met a woman named Teresa Carrington. And oh, to tell the story, she basically got a call um, from God to end poverty. And she was like, oh, great. Okay, how, does, how am I going to do that? Well, years later, she created something called the Blessing Basket Organization. Uh, Whole Foods carries these baskets. So if you have a Whole Foods in oh, your wait, area. Wait, wait, Whole Foods. Another Austin, Austin company. Austin company. Okay. Awesome. I'm moving to Austin, man. All right. So... Um, recently they have changed their name. It's called 10 by three. And let me just give you the story. So, um, they're in multiple companies around um, our countries around the world, including Bangladesh and Uganda. And, um, 
they what they do is they take local artisans, the artisans weave baskets, they ship the baskets over to the US and contain in shipping containers, um, and we sell them online and we sell them in in um, Whole Foods and some other kind of retail spaces. The really interesting thing about this project is that we pay more than fair trade, two to three times fair trade. And so the object is to get people out of poverty. There is a, Teresa <clears throat> would interview people um, and she would just know who the entrepreneurs were, right? She's had this thing. And then she was, she had somebody with her and he said, oh my gosh, there's like a system. You have a system. And she's like, I don't have a system. I just ask these questions. And he's like, no, it's a system. And so Charlie's like doing like the numbers thing, like do, 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 and he like programs this thing into this system that they use to identify third world entrepreneurs in like deserts where there's no water, no schools. There's infighting. People are, be boys are going off and being, you know, boy soldiers. Girls are being sold into sex trafficking. Like it's friggin' ugly, right? This woman walks in, people start weaving baskets, then they create businesses. So they have to use the money. They have enough money for subsistence and then they have to build businesses. And as they start to build businesses, they become employers. And then the employers open another business and hire a manager. So they start creating this economic infrastructure. Okay. So 15 years later, this woman is legit graduating families and villages out of poverty like there's not poverty there are schools and the kid the the children are educated and they go to the city and they become doctors and dentists and lawyers and they come back and they provide and um like three weeks ago the country leaders were here it was so amazing i'll send you a photo the country leaders were there and they told their stories and it was so powerful and so um, the way that I give back is I'm on their board. I um, actively, I'm on a million basket mission. So um, I'm on a mission to sell a million baskets in my lifetime mm -hmm. um, on behalf of that. And now when I curate these dinners, I said, look, I'll pay for dinner, but you're going to do me a favor. You need to help me end global poverty. $33.34 puts an artisan into business. And within three years, we can, we can get them from begging in the street and selling their children to wholeness and economic independence. So I like, I'm passionate about that. And um, if you <laughs> I, want to know I, more, I, I think we got that, that you're passionate about that. That story alone had me on the edge of my chair. Oh my gosh. There was this woman. I can't remember which country she's in. Her name is Sarah and Teresa found her in the street begging. And she's like, you're the country director because this woman, Teresa has this intuition. And Sarah's like, I don't speak English. I can't use a computer. I don't know how to write my name. And she's like, you're, you're it. You are you're the person. Now this woman is flown to the United States, put up on a stage. People are clapping for her and she heads 500 women that we are graduating out of poverty. And this story goes on and on and on. So it's, it, they just changed their name from blessing basket to 10 by three. And it's all written out in letters, T E N B Y T H R E E.org. So that would be a huge give for me. Like if you thought I was fun on this podcast and people would go out and buy baskets and donate and really support it. You literally, this woman is changing the world. She's amazing. 10 by three.org. Go check that out. So Virginia, if somebody's listening and they think I, I need a kick-ass coach, uh, I got to know more about this lady. I can't, I, I, uh, you know, 45 minutes of a podcast was not enough. Uh, how do they find you? Well, one thing I'd love to do is give your your guests, uh, listeners, um, a gift. So give your listeners a gift. Uh, you can go to masterconnectors.com forward slash follow up. 
and download my faithful follow-up guide. It is the three proven steps to creating um, relationships out of contact. So when you're meeting people, how to follow up with them and cultivate relationship. And if you're super interested, um, I'm doing a workshop in July. So you can email me at Virginia at masterconnectors.com and I'll go ahead and get you the information. Oh, and this is going to air on August 2nd. So they missed Well, I'm that doing one. it again in October. So there you go. Last week in October. There you go. That one they what can sign July? up for. What in October. Awesome. Twice a year. Awesome. Yeah. We, 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 uh, the problem with the new media summit was I met so many cool people that I accidentally ended up with two months of recordings in the, in the can, which after four years of being like, Oh no, I have a show that has to post tomorrow. I'm now telling people, yes, it's, it's six weeks till your show goes up. That's awesome. So, all right. So I have this workshop in October. Perfect. <laughs> And if you want to know more about it, you can either go to my website, which is revupyourreferrals.com. That's revupyourreferrals.com. That's where you can find out about the workshop or email me at virginia at masterconnectors.com. That is so awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story on cool things entrepreneurs do. Uh, I am so tickled and excited that you went from cool things entrepreneurs want to do and dream about doing and think about doing to actually cool things entrepreneurs do. So that that was a big a big uh, a big increase for you and it makes me happy that I was able to tell you call me when you're doing something and it only took you like 8 months and boom here you are. Thanks so much Tom, I really appreciate it. And you know what? I also have a podcast that I can if I tell people about that. It's the Passion Purpose Impact podcast and we release new episodes every single Monday so um, I'd love it if people want to know more about me and more about what I'm up to in the world, they can catch me there. Passion Purpose Impact passion, purpose, impact. Awesome. Go check it out. If you're already a podcast listener, that's what I always find is podcast listeners are always looking for good, fresh podcasts, but don't leave me because uh, no, we're going to, because we're going to be back in a, because we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Virginia. But in the meantime, you can find out all about me at tomsinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. I'll tell you a little secret. If you were to spell Tom T-O-M singer.com, you would still get there. I own both URLs. Uh, if you like Smart. the show, jump over to iTunes and leave a review. If you want to join my uh, little small but mighty uh, mastermind group that I have, a little group coaching program called the Potential Mastermind Group, just go to potentialmastermind.com. But please come back in a couple days and check out the next episode. Uh, if it wasn't for you, we would not have a show. So I'm going to challenge you, though. In the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.